Welcome to the premiere episode of the Fantasy Scouts podcast. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by Coach Sam Ehrman, Matt Nine, and Andrew Woodruff. On today's episode, who would you rather have, DK Metcalf or AJ Brown? We'll also look at Trevor Lawrence's pro day and how he and Urban Meyer will affect the Jags offense this season. But don't go anywhere because we'll also talk about Jalen Rager. Does he have a lock on the Eagles wide receiver one spot or will they look to the draft? Welcome in, everybody, to the first ever Fantasy Scouts podcast here on Friday, February 12th. We are so excited to be doing this for you guys, and we are excited to have you here with us. How are we all doing today, guys? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. We had uh, uh, pro day out today, so I know Sam is ready to go. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about talking about that. That was a lot of fun to watch. Um you know, I don't know who got an opportunity to see some highlights or whatnot, but to be able to watch the entire thing was very – he didn't miss a beat. I mean, he really showed up as like, hey, like, I'm the number one pick. You know, like, let's go. And he really went to work. Like, he didn't – like, a lot of pro days are very fake, you know, selling themselves and trying to be all professional and fake almost. Trevor was himself. He showed up, went to work made a bunch of throws, made all the throws. I'm sure everybody saw that 60-yard dime. And Urban Meyer was right on the field and, I mean, right there with him. So it's like you knew he knew what he was doing. He was right there for a reason. And everybody kind of stayed out of the way because everybody knows that's his guy. <laughs> um, you know, like he did have a few erratic throws, but when you throw 70 times, you're going to miss one or two. Um he weighed in good. He measured good. His height, I mean, I think he came in at 6'5 and 2'8, um, 223, I think, off the top of my head. 10 inch hands, 10, I think 10 and a quarter. I mean, the dude is a stereotypical franchise pocket passing with the mobile ability as a franchise quarterback you'd ever want. Um, I mean, I can keep going on. Uh, I just, he was a robot. I mean, he really was. And that's who he is. Like, he's somebody you're going to show up and he's going to work every day and get better. And I really think, you know, transitioning to the next level with all the weapons they have in Jacksonville is going to be a breeze for him. Yeah, so I, I think that that was pretty much my expectation, right, uh, that he would just get down to work and, and kind of be a robot. Like you said, we all have really high hopes for him. So, I mean, was there anything from the pro day that you – you notice that that maybe stood out to you in terms of kind of what was different from him? Did you see anything that was different or was it just kind of on point with, with what we expected? It was pretty, it was exactly what you'd expect. I mean, he didn't do anything to change anybody's mind. Everybody went there with the opinion that he was the first overall pick and he solidified it. Um, you know, he could sit on the couch for the next two months, eat potato chips and put 25 pounds on, and he would still go first number one overall. I mean, <laughs> it, it, he's impressive. It's incredible. Like, all he did 
was if somebody wanted to come up and buy the first overall pick, he increased that draft pick cost. Like if you're the Jets with the number two pick, I would imagine it would take the number two pick, Sam Darnold, all their first round picks and probably a handful of their second round picks for them to even consider, you know, um, he really, he, he, like, I don't know how to say it other than like, he just did what you expect him to do. I mean, I think he will show up week one, put his head down. And I really truly believe with urban Meyer, LaVisca Chanel, James Robinson, and all those weapons, they will be playoff contenders year one, without a doubt, in my opinion. Like, he's that guy. Wow. That's, uh, that's bold that they're, uh, you're claiming a playoff contention for them. But I, I see it. I mean, this offense actually has a, a decent amount of weapons. So why don't we kind of segue into the Jaguars offense here? Because – Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going to bring a new dynamic to that offense, but they also have a new head coach in Urban Meyer. Uh, what do we think this offense is going to look like, particularly the wide receiver group? Um, you know, they have they have a couple high second round picks, so it's possible they still add somebody there. But right now we're looking at DJ Shark, uh, LaVisca Chanel, Colin Johnson. Uh, why don't we start with you, Andrew? What do you what do you kind of think about this this Jags wide receiver group and the offense going into next year? Uh, just kind of basing it off a little bit of what I've seen Trevor and some of the strengths of the receivers we have. Chark, his downfield game, Trevor's going to be able to open that right back up, you know, hit him on those deep throws, let him work, do his job. Uh, Chanel, I think Shona said he's a pretty good underneath guy, gadget player, maybe get him a couple of reverses, things like that. Uh, Bad teams being able to have to focus more on the deep throw, I think it's going to be able to help open up Chenault. And then we know James Robinson himself as a rookie was able to show that he's going to be involved not only in the run game but also catching. So I think he's going to be able to just take it that next level with lighter boxes as teams spread out. Yeah, totally. And I, I know I personally have LaVisca Chenault as one of my kind of favorite breakout guys um, I think Matt, you you're pretty high on Visca as well. So of him, you know, teaming up with Trevor Lawrence and and kind of that group along with Jay Shark and Johnson. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, I am the only one of the fantasy scouts group to have Visca ranked in the top 30 as far as dynasty wide receivers go. I could be wrong. I think I actually have him right at 30. Um. I, I'm I'm super excited about him. Uh, I, I don't like the phrase gadget player for him because it has a bad connotation, especially when it comes to fantasy. You see guys like Tavon Austin, who they're better football players than they are fantasy assets. Uh, I don't think Visca is that. Uh, I think he's a wide receiver first. He's unbelievably strong hands, and the concentration is fantastic. Um, but he also can run the ball. It's not like he's this, you know, he's a Swiss army knife. He does everything, you know, somewhat. Okay. He's always on the field. Like he's a very good wide receiver who can also run the football. He has that running back mentality uh, that goes with him. And that was kind of, I don't want to say a red flag, but one of the concerns with him coming out of college, you know, because of his play style, it warrants possible injuries. You know, he did have a few in Colorado, but wasn't anything, 
you know, huge and significant that I remember that, that really kept him off. It was a bunch of little things that just kind of added up. And, and I mean, he's, he's tough as, as they come. He, he doesn't miss a lot of games. Uh, he did miss a few in his rookie year. So, you know, that's just kind of, you know, part of it that comes with it uh, when you get him. But in, in this particular offense, he is going to feast off screens uh, slants, the quick game, uh, comeback routes, corners and stuff like that. I mean, he, this guy is, is going to be phenomenal. See, I really uh, yeah. LaVisca, at least for me personally, I keep going back to what Sean McVay does with Robert Woods, 110, 120 targets and about 20, 30 carries a year, which is a very valuable asset. When I say gadget, I know it's got a bad connotation, but I try to think of it as, someone who's going to touch the ball a lot, be getting a lot of opportunities. And that's really what I expect LaVisca to be for the Jaguars as what Robert Woods has been for the Rams for the past three or four years. And someone who's always undervalued and scores a lot of points and helps you win championships. And I think LaVisca is a more dynamic player than Robert Woods. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm I, living in Colorado. I've, I saw Visca up close and personal um, at CU, and and the guy is he, he's a player. And if you look at his player player profiler, he's actually most compared to AJ Brown. Not that they're the same player, but like just in size and stature and everything. Um, so I kind of agree on the, you know, I I, I wouldn't describe him as a gadget player. Um, and actually, Matt. I'm just going to tell you, you you have Visca ranked 29th overall. I actually have him at 27th. Um, so I'm a, I have him a few spots higher that, you know, some of that could change as we get through the offseason here. But I do have him above DJ Shark. I would rather have Visca than DJ Shark going forward, personally. Um, so let's kind of pivot. I know, I know there's a lot of talk about James Robinson this offseason as well. I guess real quickly, you know, we don't need to go too deep into this, but do we think they will add a running back and, and how do we see Robinson kind of fitting into you know, this offense? Yeah. Um, I think it's no doubt that they will add a running back. Um, I think James Robinson had like 85% of the work last year. While I don't expect James Robinson to lose his job, they literally did not have another viable running back on the team. People want to argue, oh, we're Kyle, we're Kyle Armstead or whatever his name is. No, stop it. Um, I think they draft somebody later to back up James Robinson. Uh, I don't think it really in, impacts his fantasy value too much. I do think you know he'll lose a little bit of work because I don't think he can retain that much volume. Um, but – I still think he's a running back one, if not a fringe running back one. And, you know, I don't see any reason they just go off of him. So I think moving forward, you know, he'll lose a little bit of volume, but they will absolutely bring somebody in probably like a, like a backup or maybe even someone like a James White. Um, they could kind of help take some pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. But, as for the people who want to log in and say that, you know, James Robinson is losing his job, they're just living and dying on draft capital, which is a failed job. Yeah, totally. Matt, what did you, uh, what do you think on that, that situation? Uh, I have to agree with Sam here. Although if I'm not mistaken, I know Andrew, you're the numbers guy. Um, 
Jacksonville was towards the bottom of the league as far as rushing attempts go. So I'm not entirely sure that he loses volume. I think it was, man, what was it, 272? Does that sound right? How many carries he had, something like that? So I'm not sure he loses volume. It may not go higher, but it'll still be in that ballpark. But I expect his production to be much more efficient. Uh, the, what was it? I remember talking on, on, on seeing on Twitter and talking in our Discord and stuff like that. He had, man, five, six, 20-plus yard touchdowns called back because of holding. I mean, just he just actually had a, a brutal season from a fantasy standpoint. And he was still like the RB3, RB4 prior to the last two weeks of the season. So most of his production last year came off of yards alone because the, t- the touchdowns, you know, as, as we say that they're fluky, but they really weren't there. I expect that number and for a positive regression in, in 2021 as the offense moves and operates much more smoothly. Now, as far as bringing somebody else in to compete, I'm behind Sam on this one. Uh, I don't think they bring in somebody to take his job. This is James Robinson's job. I do think they simply bring in somebody else uh, that is more of an Urban Meyer, maybe style type running back. Like you said, a James White, a third down guy is a simple breather, maybe the occasional third down guy. But do not be mistaken. This is James Robinson's job. Andrew, what do you, you, you agree with the guys here? You got anything anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think they're hitting on great points and just bringing in the numbers to it. Uh, the Jaguars' offense as a whole was near the bottom in the NFL on scoring alone. Uh, I believe, yeah, right here is their 30th overall in scoring points. So with the expect, expectation of losing a little bit of volume, you should expect a little bit more efficiency, even closer to league average on points scored. Uh, Matt brought up a great point talking about rushing attempts. The team is actually dead last overall in rushing attempts in the NFL. So if we can expect Trevor to keep games from being blown away, we should expect the team to go to a more neutral uh, pass rush ratio so that would help out a lot and same thing with rushing touchdowns so many penalties hurt it they were 31st overall in rushing touchdowns scored which i agree it could be a he's going to get some kind of backfield to help because he was basically the only guy that he had last year now whether or not it's going to be some kind of free agent probably a cheaper guy maybe like you said james white maybe somebody even I doubt for net, but maybe like a Hyde or somebody like that. You can come in and just help spell him from time to time. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of backup options in this NFL draft that could help spell him anywhere from Larry Roundtree to uh, Khalil Herbert or maybe more of a pass, pass catching back that they got some options for. Okay, so real quick, I want to jump back in here. I want to take, yeah, it, back, take it back to take Visca, back to for, Visca. A for a second. Uh, Sam, I got a question for you. You said his comparison in your eyes, the way he'll be used, at least in the offense, is to McVay and Robert Woods. Um, so I do know Robert Woods does have the occasional, you know, end around and uh, in, in rush attempt from time to time. Uh, so looking at last year's stats for Woods, he had, was it uh, 129 targets and he had four four rushing attempts do you, is that do you, do you feel like that that is an accurate uh, assumption we can expect from visca plus or minus 130 as far as targets go how many rushing attempts did you say he had i'm seeing oh that's tw- 2018 he had four in 2020 he had one 
Rushing so, attempts. Rushing attempts. Robert Woods had more than one rushing attempt. That's that's what I'm seeing here. I, I say I watch every Rams game. He gets. I would say he's probably closer to 20. 24. 24, excuse me. I was looking at the playoffs. Yeah, dude, I was like. So he had 24 for 155, and then he had 129 targets for 90 catches, 936, uh, 936 yards. So we'll say 130 and 24. So 150 touches. Do you think that's realistic for Visca? Yeah. Um, I think there's even a world where he gets more. Um, you know, the Rams do a good job of dialing up screens to Robert Woods every now and then. Um, they do a good job, obviously, getting him some end of rounds. But I think we also saw enough from LaVisca out of the backfield that they may even line him up there every now and then on, like, a third down to try to get a personnel advantage or something. Um, but even 130 touches or 130 targets even – with somebody who's as dynamic as him, with someone he is fantastic with the ball in his hand, um, and he's very similar to Robert Woods. Um, I just, when I see Lavisca, when I think of what Urban Meyer said right after he got hired, talking about Lavisca, that's what I see. That is like, line him up as a slot wide receiver, let him go to work, you know, fake the end around every now and then, and then finally actually hand it off to him, dial up screens to him. You know, I really think if he gets 130 targets, you know, he could have up to 100. You know, I think if he has 100 touches next year, he'll be pushing 1150 scrimmage yards and at least eight or nine touchdowns, um, which that is a super valuable asset. That is a fringe wide receiver one, low high end RB2 or wide receiver two. And the price that you're paying for him now is so much higher than or so much lower than what you're the risk you're paying. You could probably get him for a late second round, mid second round pick right now. And the upside is so much higher than that. And his floor is, if his floor is what we saw this year and you translate that to 16 games, you still have a viable flex. So if we're talking about a second year player with urban Meyer as someone who could be a low end wide receiver one, all the way to a viable flex option with his price tag, I I think that's an automatic home run. So, you know, that's exactly what I project for him. I mean, obviously I'm not in the building, um, but I understand coaches. And I understand that Urban Meyer is not stupid. So basing that off of what he said and everything that I've seen with LaVisca, I think that's right in the realm of possibilities. So where, where would he fall in, in this year's rookie class of wide receivers? Cause I think I'd have him at three. I would want chase and Bateman. Those are the only two guys out of this class I would take before Visca. Oh, I I don't know about that. Like, obviously, our rookie rankings are different. <sighs> Where would I take him? I would want Devonto over him. I'd want Chase over him. You know, and then I start to have questions about, you know, Bateman and Waddle um, and those guys. I think, you know, I would put him right in that tier two for me. And then I think at that point, it's preference. Um, revisit that question in two months when they're drafted. You know, the way you could get an understanding then. Yeah, I think that'll be a, a fun conversation to have to revisit when uh, once some of these rookie wide receivers get drafted, kind of where 
a guy like Visca slides in. Cause I think, I think we're all kind of in agreement that, that uh, he's going to have a good year in this offense. So um, why don't we move on to a topic that not everybody agrees on and we can visit the DK Metcalf versus AJ Brown uh, discussion and, and debate who kind of who we have higher and, and who we'd rather have at this point. So uh, I know Andrew and Matt are on separate sides. Why don't we begin there? Andrew, why don't you tell us, uh, tell us how you feel about AJ Brown versus DK Metcalf? All right. So it's pretty simple for me, which says a lot because both these guys were my rivals when it came to college football. So for me, cheering for either of them says a lot about their talent. Um, but AJ Brown, the dude set up in the perfect offense. He is the number one guy that has no threats and potential, especially if Corey Davis ends up going somewhere. And the dude is just phenomenal. He's been efficient for two years. The dude played on two bad knees and still put up within 20 points of what DK Metcalf did within a year. So with two less games, AJ Brown was only 20 points behind him. Uh, the reason I'm personally going AJ Brown over DK is I believe AJ is not only like the full package, but I believe the game scripts are going to favor AJ Brown's skill set with Tannehill, uh, just the play action based off Derrick Henry, gets some those big plays every single week consistently. Uh, DK man, no slouch, dude's talent as well. But I truly believe, like, the Seahawks are coming back in. They're doing more of a run game first type offense going for 2021. And I don't know. I just have a few more questions about that offensive line than I would in the Titans right now. What do you think, Matt? Well, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I'm, I'm going DK here. But I, I do think it is close. Uh, I know this question was posed on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I, I commented saying that I, I think I would lean DK here because I think there's another level we haven't seen DK hit yet. And I, I think AJ Brown's a phenomenal receiver, but I, I'm not sure if there's another another gear he can hit as to where I think with DK can. And, and I say that because DK, as we know, you know, ooh, the three cone and all that, and the limited route running tree, A.J. Brown already does a lot of that, and D.K. doesn't. He's still working at that. And D.K. was also towards the top of the league in drops. There's a lot of easy stuff he could have caught, which would have made his numbers much better than what we are, even though they were already pretty fantastic. Now, at first, I, I, I do think Seattle is going back to a more run-heavy scheme compared to last year. But I think the new offensive coordinator that we got from L.A., uh, I think it's going to be more creative. I think we are going to see a more efficient offense. I still think D.K. is the clear one. Tyler Lockett's in a contract year. I don't expect them to retain him unless he comes back uh, for a very friendly deal. Um, so in that world, one year from today, D.K. Metcalf, and, and Freddie Swain. That's your wide receiver one and wide receiver two right there. Um, DK's tied to Russell Wilson for another, you know, possible decade as to where Brown is tied to Tannehill. Tannehill's great, but not nearly as good of, of a true quarterback as Russell Wilson is. So I think DK can get better. I think his route tree can, can will continue to expand. Uh, I think, uh, 
you know, his, his hands will get better. His concentration, his, his rapport with, with Wilson will get better. Uh, I do know AJ Brown does kind of live and die off, off the deep ball. I know DK does a, a little bit too right now. Uh, so they both could get better in those areas. I know AJ Brown, uh, his quick game is, is phenomenal. I, I can't tell you how many highlights I've seen of him taking screens to the house, which is ridiculous. Uh, so like I said, both phenomenal players, but I think there's another gear DK can hit that he hasn't yet. Yeah. I want to hop in on this, obviously. Um, Here's my thing. I love both players. Um, obviously, if you're going to talk about quarterback advantage, you're going to give it to um, DK every day of the week. Um, obviously, the offensive scheme is a problem because it's so generic and bland, but obviously I think they're going to spice that up. And I think this year, and this sounds crazy to me, this is what sounds crazy is this year – DK Metcalf put up 83 receptions, 1,300 yards, and 10 touchdowns. And I think everybody sat there feeling like that wasn't good enough. Like, that wasn't his ceiling. That's not even close to his ceiling. Like, I really think that we're talking about a guy who could be putting up 110 receptions, 1,600 yards, and 15 touchdowns on a yearly basis. He has that level of ceiling. I think A.J. Brown is a fantastic player. Um, But he just doesn't have that. I, I don't know. There's something about DK when you watch him that you think and look at this guy and go, okay, he can be an all-time great. Whereas AJ Brown, I think you can look at him and see that he's a fantastic player, but you know, doesn't have that potential next level that DK does. And that's what separates them for me. So when I'm breaking it down, like, you know, AJ Brown's fantastic. Um, DK is fantastic, but when you're talking about a guy in his second year who put up those level of numbers and stats and you look around and think, dang, that's it, that tells you what his ceiling can be. He's the biggest, the fastest, the strongest player on the field any given Sunday, which if you can do that and in your second year still learning the position at the NFL level, I think – I. I just don't see how you can look at him and be like, oh, no, I don't think he's got the higher ceiling. Yeah, I think I think those are all good points. And, I, you know, I don't have a lot to add. I think it's – I mentioned player profiler earlier, and it's, it's kind of interesting. If you look at DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, their best comparable is the same guy, which is Andre Johnson, which I find uh, a little bit interesting. But – I think, I mean, they're both incredible talents. DK has a, a few inches on, on AJ Brown. And I think ultimately for me, it just kind of comes down to the offense that they're in and, and DK kind of like you guys said, I think he, he kind of has another level. So um, he's up at wide receiver three for me in my dynasty ranks. Uh, so, you know, it, I think next year he's going to, he's going to really kind of reach another level. Who? Who would you say, though, between the two is more comparable to Andre Johnson, though? Because I know player profile is just pure off, you know, physical measurements and metrics and stuff like that. But when I hear that, I feel like A.J. Brown comps to Andre Johnson much better. And as far as a physical comp, D.K. Metcalf comps to Calvin Johnson a lot better. Now, you know, following up on what Sam said, A.J. Brown is not on a trajectory at this moment in time to to match Calvin Johnson 
DK is. DK is on that trajectory to hit there. We need. I'm not comparing DK to, to Calvin Johnson. I need to see another five, six years of this consistently, you know, 1,000-plus yards. The touchdown's not so much. That was kind of Calvin Johnson's, you know, Achilles heel. He didn't score a lot. But the yards and the receptions and, and the highlight plays, you know, double coverage, you know, there's that one picture out there, you know, where two Saints uh, DBs are, are standing across from him. So, you know, DK's not in that conversation. But he is trending that direction. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. And I think one of the things with AJ Brown is it, he relies on those big plays a lot, right? You mentioned kind of taking screen passes to the house and uh I don't feel like DK relies on the big play as much. He's he's a little bit more consistent for me. Um I don't know if if Andrew you had a a rebuttal on that at all or not. I <laughs> I know you're you're the one guy here who who we all have him pretty close, but you're the one guy who does prefer A.J. Brown. Yeah, I mean, and that's fine by me because I just make some cheaper in drafts for me. But I will say it also kind of depends on the league style that you're going for. I mean, with us being dynasty guys, I know some leagues prefer giving points out for return, uh, return points as well. A.J. Brown is a return guy. Now, he didn't do it a lot, but I know he can have that function. I haven't seen D.K., as far as I'm aware, return anything while he's been in the NFL. So you have to think about that as well. Uh, just looking back over this 2020 season, even though I know A.J. Brown missed a couple games, uh, he had more of the big-time games, so like those 20-plus point games. I think he had seven. Uh, D.K. only had five. So I believe D.K. does offer a higher score at any point in time in a game. I think A.J. Brown is just that much more consistent because the Titans just truly – truly scare people when it comes to that run game that it makes people lazy for just one, two plays. And that's all AJ Brown needs. Yeah. And I think uh, just kind of the last point on this, I mentioned AJ kind of making, creating big plays and he, he had 426 yards after the catch last year. That's four points per, per target at 11th in the league whereas DK was down at, at 360 yards after catch, uh, 2.8 per target, which was 17th in the league. So not a not a huge, huge discrepancy, but I think that is one area is A.J. Brown is – he just turns into a, a monster once he gets the football in his hands, but uh, he does tend to rely on that a bit too much, I think. Um, but I think, again, we all have them uh, – pretty high in our rankings and, and fairly close. So why don't we go ahead and uh, transition to the Philadelphia Eagles offense specifically want to talk about Jalen Rager today. Uh, do we think he has a lock on that wide receiver one job? Do we think they're going to draft somebody? How are we feeling uh, going into this year? Obviously a lot of Carson Wentz trade rumors. I think we're all kind of expecting Hertz to be the guy, but what do we think about Jalen Rager here going into his second year with the Eagles? Uh, Sam, you want to, want to give your thoughts? Yeah, I would. Um, I, you know, I would be lying if I came out here and said that Jalen Rager had a good rookie year. He was very disappointing. Um, you can chalk that up to injury or bad quarterback play, what have you. Um, you know, not every player you draft in the first round is going to be a superstar. Um, I think Jalen Rager is going to be a really good player for many years. He doesn't look like he's going to be special. You know, like he looks like he's just going to be a really good player. 
but not like that special fantasy asset. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like that creates value and value creates championships. Um, but I think the Eagles, you know, the team is so depleted, you know, at the skilled position um, and obviously the, the defense. But I think if you're going to trust that Jalen Hurts is your guy, you got to get him weapons. You got to get him a viable alpha. And I think if you're sitting there at six and Jamar Chase is on the board, you know, or even Rashad Bateman or something, whoever you believe is the biggest, strongest alpha on the team, you take them. And the reason I say that is you need a possession wide receiver. Um, Jalen Rager cannot be your possession wide receiver. Um, you know, he's somebody who could help stretch the field and get the ball to in creative spaces and, um, you know, play the underneath. But you need a possession wide receiver, especially if you're going to develop a quarterback. Um, you know, and every year that, you know, people are like, oh, they could just trade back and draft wide receiver then. Well, we've, we've seen their drafting ability. That's not good. Take somebody that you know is a star and plant him and go. Um, you know, because you could trade back to the second round and draft Amonra St. Brown. I love St. Brown, but he's not going to be that level of prospect of, you know, chases, which increases the bust rate because that's just how it works. And, you know, if you're sitting there and you're drafting another wide receiver in the second round, in the third year in a row, taking a wide receiver in the top two rounds, and you miss again, something's off. You know, you can't keep missing like that. So if you're sitting there and you need a guarantee, you know, and Chase is there, you take Chase, you, and then you spend the rest of your draft taking offensive line and defense, you know, specifically the defensive backs. Um, you got to, you know, my philosophy when I build teams is protect yours and attack theirs. Um, you know, it's that simple. Um, you know, obviously the Eagles line isn't that good. Um, but there's not a whole lot on that Eagles team that is very good. You've got a really good running back. You've got a fantastic tight end in Dallas Goddard, and you have what you believe is your franchise quarterback. And outside of that, you have nothing. So you have to start somewhere, and that is, you know, building those foundation blocks because this is a two, three-year-long rebuild. Um, you know, if you want to lock down, you know, the wide receiver position, you do so. And then you look elsewhere, you know, in the second round, you can swing back around and, you know, there's always a bunch of good tackles left in the second round. You can go, you know, you can go, you know, so it depends, but I think there's no way that they roll into the season with Jalen Rager, Travis Fulgham, JJ Arthega Whiteside and call it good. Like there's no way they do that. So I think it, they will take wide receiver, but it depends on how early and how aggressive they want to be while doing so. Uh, Matt. What do you what do you think here? I know you're a you've been on the Jalen Hurts train um, as long as anybody I know, and probably sooner. What do you what do you think uh, this offense looks like next year with with Rager? Do they do they draft a guy like Jamar Chase or 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 not? They can. I don't. I don't. I don't think they should. I, I know that wide receiver is a position of need for them. But they, you know, Sam alluded to, they have so many other holes that they need to fix. I mean, they, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was John Hightower, the guy they took from Boise, it was a sixth round or something like that. He was playing DB in week 17 against the Washington football team like that. I don't know if it was because they, they decided to sit so many guys and, you know, they sat, you know, most of the secondary guys or whatever. But the point is, is that outside of Darius Slay, that might be the worst secondary I've ever seen in my entire life. If I'm the Eagles, if, 
in some perfect world, the, the tackle from Oregon is sitting there, Sewell, at six. You take him, no questions asked. But I doubt he will be. So I think the next best option is to take the top defensive back that they have on their board. And if that's if the, if if that guy's not there, or they decide to to pivot off of that, I think then the third best option would be to trade back because they have so many holes. For the sixth overall pick, especially if a quarterback is still sitting there, they could move back into the I don't know eleven to to fifteen range, pick up a second this year, maybe a fourth this year, and something next year again. Uh, I think those are the best options. As far as Rager goes, Jerry's still out for me. I think he could be what we thought he would be last year. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that they need to go out and spend another first round pick on on, on a wide receiver like they did with Rager. Uh, I, I just feel like at that point you're beating a dead horse. Um, looking ahead to next year, though, uh, there are the free agent class. It, is extremely deep again. So if they didn't dress wide receiver in the first round this year, they could do it next year in free agency. Uh, Devonte Adams, I expect him to be resigned, but as of today, this is his contract year. Uh, Tyler Lockett, Robbie Anderson, uh, scrolling down the list here, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, uh, DJ Shark is a big name to watch because I do not expect the Jags to retain him. Uh, you know, my favorite guy in the world, James Washington, uh, Michael Gallup. So there's there's a lot of options uh, to be had in next year's uh, free agent pool, especially with them trading Wentz opening up, I think, roughly 31 to $33 million worth of cap. So they can address a lot of their needs in this draft without having to spend a premium pick on a wide receiver. I just want to add real quick. Like, obviously, you're not on the Jalen Hurts bandwagon. You're the one who's been pulling it since day one. If you have a franchise quarterback or someone you think is a franchise quarterback, but you're not 100% sure, you can't wait to get him weapons. You, like, you can look at free agents, you know, like, I don't know. What, I don't off the top of my head know what the Eagles cap space is. Um, but if they have cap space, you know, if you don't want to spend draft pick, I mean, like go get someone like Juju, go get someone who's available that can make your team better. And then you use those draft picks elsewhere or in the free agency draft or pick up some offensive linemen or DBs and draft elsewhere, because you cannot go, you cannot go into the season with Jalen Rager as your one. And then a bunch of undrafted fifth, sixth round picks after him and call it good. Because you saw what happened with Lamar Jackson. You saw what happened with Deshaun Watson. You know, okay, Deshaun Watson's a different story because he's one of the best players. But his weapons were not that good. You have to get Jalen Rager some help. Or not Jalen Rager. Jalen Hurts some help. I'm not trying to bash Jalen Rager. I'm trying to be realistic and know that he's their only player. You know, like I was big on Travis Fulgham when he was breaking out because he was free. But that didn't last. So you have to be realistic and understand the situation. And I just – I cannot imagine the Eagles going into the season and not addressing their skilled positions, even if it's a third or fourth round pick. they got to do something. You know, maybe the sixth round – or the sixth overall pick is a little rich. And I can understand that. But they have to do something. And, you know, no matter what they do, 
people will say it's good or it's bad for Jalen Rager. And I think it'll be good because if he's the only player worth having attention and they double team him, then it's good luck having, you know, Travis Fulgham beat us. You're in trouble. So I think they bring in somebody and I think they need to, no matter how bad every other thing in their team is. But the question is the price that they're willing to pay and who they have eyeballs on. And then do we trust their drafting ability? Because I think their drafting ability is so bad. They've shown us that we need them to go after a vet if they don't take, you know, one of the top two alpha wide receivers in this class. So, so I, I do agree with you that they do need to address the wide receiver position. I, my point is I just think six overall is a little rich for where their team is currently constructed. Um, you brought up the cap right now. They're sitting at minus 41. Uh, and then um, you project the Wentz trade. I believe that's what the Wentz trade projected into that. Uh, and then moving forward to 2022, they're sitting at currently 500,000, but with Wentz being traded, that'll open up. 31 to 33. I forget the number. So they'll have about 32 ish next year available to spend on free agents. Now, I don't think they can address anything in free agency this year, at least nothing massive because they just simply don't have the money. Uh, there is uh, some concern. I have seen that, that Jason Kelsey, the center uh, who's arguably been the best center in the league over the last few years is considering retirement. Um, if, if that's the case, I think offensive line becomes the biggest need and not the weapons, because as you alluded to, Russell Wilson's, you know, complaining about it this week. Uh, Deshaun Watson has complained about it before. Hell, Andrew Luck was forced into retirement because the offensive line was so bad. So if you believe, really, it doesn't matter who you believe in as the Eagles quarterback, you need to protect whoever the quarterback is. Otherwise, they're going to get beat the hell up. So like I said, if Sewell's there at six, I think it's a no, no questions asked. That's your guy. Um, but, you know, what, what if, you know, one, one of these other teams sitting at 10, 11, we're like, you know, we'll come up to six. We'll take the last guy, last QB there, you know, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, whoever, you know, is there. And then, you know, at 11, you can still take someone like Jalen Waddle or one of these other top receivers that, you know, Bateman might be there at 11, probably not, but you never know. Instead of, you know, using your six overall on chase. I think, uh, well, I want to ask a follow-up question on, on kind of the type of receiver because Jalen hurts, actually, he didn't qualify for the stat because he didn't have enough pass attempts, but if he had, he would have been tied for the league lead in intended air yards per target, uh, with Tom Brady at 9.1. So, I mean, hurts was throwing the ball downfield a lot. And I think, that's partially a product of, of, of Hertz himself, but also the, the personnel that they had. I mean, Rager and, and even Fulgham are kind of downfield guys to a certain extent. I think Alshon Jeffrey made a little bit of an impact when he came back. And then obviously they've got the tight ends, but do you think adding a possession receiver, like, uh, you know, kind of a bigger possession target kind of guy, do you think that would be beneficial for, for Jalen Hurts in this offense? Because, Obviously, Rager is not that kind of uh, a receiver. I think we can look at the Colts wide receivers from last year with, with Sirianni. Um, you know, what is Jalen Rager? Is he your, your Michael Pittman or is he your T.Y. Hilton? I'd probably lean and say he's more T.Y. Hilton as your downfield speedster. Um, and then you got your Michael Pittman, which is he, – he's also very fast for his, for his height, um, but he's more of your possession type guy. So – 
you know, if I'm the Eagles, you, you would assume that they are looking for more of a possession right type receiver uh, to pair with Rager, who, who can really, really move. Yeah, com- completely agree. That makes, that makes sense. Uh, Andrew, I don't think we heard from you on this topic. Do you have anything to add to uh, what the guys said? Yeah, um, I kind of I kind of fully agree about the whole taking a receiver at six. Like, I feel like that's a contender-type move. Uh, thinking back, I guess, to the Atlanta Falcons when they went up and they were like, nope, I'm taking Julio because I believe my team is ready. I don't know if the Eagles are quite in the same place right now to be able to go, yeah, I'm going to get a receiver because we're ready to go right now. Uh, especially when you got a cornerback like Patrick Sertain right there on the board, uh, Micah Parsons, if they're worried about the linebacker core, or if they think there's a lineman worth taking at that spot. Um, I'll say, I was thinking about it. You mentioned the Colts and the way that they run their personnel. Were the Colts not like a really big tight end, focused centric group? I mean, at six, you're not, you're not crazy thinking like Mike, uh, Kyle Pitts, who is a fantastic, probably very high ranked tight end among most people out there. Add him and Goddard to the offense, brings more attention to the middle of the field, lets Rager work a little bit more on the outside as well, and then go back and get that receiver second, third, fourth round because we've seen guys like T. Higgins in the second, uh, Chase Claypool, guys like that. They can run those functions that you want down the road for not a 106 overall pick. My, my Dallas Goddard shares would cry if they took bits. But but I, I, I do know that is one of the staples of Sirianni's scheme is the two tight end sets. And I know that was part of Doug Peterson's you know scheme. So that's not changing. Uh, as of today, Goddard is the one with the expectation that they will move on from Ertz. Uh, and then Richard Rodgers is your two. Like maybe, I mean, he wasn't bad last year, but I don't know if you can really rely on him as the two. So Pitts is in play, but again, I think that's still too rich for, for what they need. I, I think that defense is that bad. See, I want to add, you said you were talking about they use a lot of 12 personnel. I think, you know, Sirianni and Reich and at one point Peterson were good enough coaches that they used what their personnel gave them. Um, I don't like you have Dallas Goddard obviously locked in. And then if you don't have like, I don't see them forcing 12 personnel if their best personnel is 11 personnel, um, you know, like I Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, um, there was who's the Colts other tight end. I'm drawing a blank on um, Trey Burton, Trey Burton. Like you had those guys who were good enough to run 12 personnel, you know, and back in Philadelphia, it was like you said, uh, it was Dallas Goddard um, and Zach Ertz. And the, the, who was the, and this is, this is a throwback. Um, who was the other tight end that was before Ertz? He was there for years. Brett Selleck. Brett Selleck. Like you have those players who they can transition into. Like, I think the reason they used so much 12 personnel was because they had the 12 person, like the personnel that run 12 personnel effectively. If they don't have it, I don't think they'll try to force it. Like, I think Sirianni is a much better coach than what people give credit for, especially after they roasted him for his interview or his press conference or whatever. Um, I, I think that he wants to run 12 personnel, but I don't think he's going to try forcing it, especially if he doesn't have the player. Like, I don't think – and Matt mentioned it. You really don't want Richard Rodgers as you're on the field 80% of the time. You really don't. Like, that is so stupid. Um, 
You know, and I think Kyle Pitts could be play on play six. And the reason I would say that is he's good enough that he could be wide receiver and tight end. Um, he'll probably be more of a, t- a wide receiver when he gets to the NFL, but he'll get the tight end tag, which creates that personnel advantage. So I don't, you know, like I think history shows us that they use a lot of 12 personnel, but I don't know if they plan to moving forward because they had those personnels in the, that 12 personnel to use, like with Brent Selleck and um, Zach Ertz and, you know, Ebron and Doyle and Burton and all those guys. So I think I think it really becomes personnel dependent before we kind of lock that into guarantee. I pretty much uh, tuned out once I heard Kyle Pitts' name. I, I, that's all I could think about is, is Kyle Pitts. I, I love that dude, and I'm so excited to see where he ends up. Um, I did have that thought about about him going to the Eagles as well. I don't think that's likely, but if they moved on from Ertz and, and brought him in, that would be a lot of fun. Um, but, I, you know, the segment was obviously geared towards Jalen Rager. Um, but last things b- before we close it out, I, I want to focus on Jalen Hurts real quick because he's obviously a, a hot topic and kind of just want to go around to everybody real quick, quick and see where we have him in our, our dynasty ranks and uh, just a kind of a quick thought on, on Jalen Hurts going into next year. And if you don't know the exact number, I've got him pulled up here so I can, I can tell you, but just kind of let us know where you have him and if, uh, if you think he'll, he'll move up or, or down from there. So I can go first. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Um, I I just pulled it up. I got him at 12 right behind Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think his ceiling's pretty high. But, um, you know, I got him at 12, and I feel pretty good about that. He's a quarterback one for me. Um, so that's where I got him. Obviously, he can move up. Um, I don't anticipate him moving down necessarily unless he comes out and just sucks next year. But I don't expect that. Andrew, what do we think? Uh, I know currently I've got him listed right here at quarterback 10. I would probably at this point swap him down to quarterback 11. But, I mean, he's a QB one for sure if he gets a full season. I mean, we've seen in four games he has that dual threat potential. Um, I just think overall right now there's a lot of what-ifs on that weapon weapons that he has to work with that I'm not really willing to whip, uh, work him up much more until I can see more of how this offseason goes for him. He can fall anywhere from 10 to probably 13, 14 for me. Matt, the uh, the driver of the Jalen Hurts bandwagon. Yes. So I have a lot I can say on this topic, but I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and keep it short. So last four weeks – of last year, he was the Q, finished as the QB four weeks. What was it? Um, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, weeks 14, 15, 16, he was a QB three. And in week 15, he finished as a QB one overall. Now, to Andrew's point, you know, I'm not exactly ecstatic about the supporting cast either. But in four weeks, he was the QB four with that exact supporting cast. So, top five it, upside is there. I have him currently at 11. Uh, The moment that a Carson Wentz trade is announced, I'm going to move him up to eight. He'll jump Tannehill, Burrow, and Herbert for me. And then after I see a few games, he'll probably move up past Lamar Jackson at seven. Um, That's kind of where I'm I'm projecting him. Those other six guys, Prescott, Wilson, Watson, Murray, Allen, Mahomes, I'm going to need to see some really, some really special stuff in order, in order to get him. That might be more of a 2022 territory, but yeah, 
the ceilings the, the the ceiling is somewhere in outer space. It might even be in the next galaxy over. I know people like to harp on his completion percentage. Um, I dropped this in the Discord the other day. Versus man coverage, his completion percentage was seventy two percent, which is pretty pretty good. Um, and uh, excuse me, versus zone, his completion percentage was seventy two, and versus man, it was fifty two. Uh, the man coverage uh, completion percentage is. I don't want to say easily fixable, but compared to zone, it's, it's very fixable because a lot of that has to do with personnel, has to do with not having an offseason, not having an opportunity to practice with those wide receivers. Because I cannot emphasize enough how important the timing is for quarterbacks and receivers to be on the same page, to understand where a receiver wants the ball and for the receiver to understand how the quarterback delivers the ball and in what situations they like this, they like that, so on and so forth. So they get that this offseason. I'm sure they'll get some more offensive weapons in there to help him. Uh, and then Sirianni's going to design an offense around Jalen. So I like Jalen as a, a QB one this year, for sure. Uh, the overall QB one, I guess, technically it's in the range of outcomes. I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, but if I want to go bold, he could finish as a top five quarterback for sure. Yeah. All good points. I, I, Personally, I have him at QB 14, but I can tell you right now, he's going to move up for me. Uh, just looking at my list, I think, you know, part of that ranking was with the the Wentz uh, situation kind of baked into there. But I think he's definitely a QB one. He'll probably land somewhere around 10, 11 for me. But with that rushing upside, especially, you know, even if his weapons are lacking, we saw what he could do on the ground and, and uh, everything else with that offense. So I'm excited to see what he does this year. Um, and I think that's going to do it for our first ever fantasy scouts podcast. Thank you guys for being a part of this. We are very much looking forward to this podcasting journey and remember to come back and join us for the next episode where we give you insider info. You won't get anywhere else. <laughs>